0: All right. Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Matters podcast. I'm Stuart Norton with the University of Alabama. And today we have uh, Clint Thompson. Uh, Welcome to the show, Clint.
1: Thank you, Stuart. It's a pleasure to be part of this. Um, So this, uh, I'm with Mortgage Bank um, here in Birmingham. We are a branch of Fairway Independent Mortgage Corporation, just to give you a little bit of background. Sure. Um, Fairway is the largest privately owned mortgage company in the country. So we're a non-bank um, mortgagee, meaning we go directly to agency on all of our products, whether it's Fannie, Freddie, or the Govs, you know, FHA, VA, USDA. Right. Um, we're also an agent or a participant in the Alabama Housing Finance Authority uh, program, aka bond loans. And for the jumbo criteria, um, those are all institutional type mortgages, which typically aren't sold so much in the secondary market. So we have uh, a a suite of investors that we use for the, uh, for the jumbo type mortgage, which is uh, a mortgage amount greater than um, 700. Gotcha. Yeah. And and those,
0: I think the jumbo limits have changed a little bit recently, haven't they?
1: They have. In fact, you know, we were trying to get ahead of the curve, so to speak Um, us and a few other mortgagees were, actually going to, we did increase the conforming limit to 714 or 15. I can't remember. That was the chatter number, whisper number that we thought the, um, agency was going to go to, but they, uh, ended up, uh, It looks like they're going to settle somewhere around 700. Okay.
0: <clears throat> All right. Well, yeah, well, we're, um, and so on today's show, we're going to, um, we're going to talk about, you know, economic trends, uh, especially inflation, uh, and just, uh, Clint, your you know, your take on that. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I'll add some, uh, some color in as well. Uh, but before we get into, uh, you know, the current market, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you, um, you know, your career path that led you to being a production manager at Mortgage Bank.
1: Well, this is my 31st year in the mortgage business. Um, and what's changed the most in the last probably seven years is Um, taking more of an advisor approach. In other words, the typical mortgage person I find is more focused on um, giving the client, the borrower, you know, upfront numbers as far as payment and cash to close. And those numbers are very relevant, of course, but that's pretty much where that conversation usually stops. And we like to take that conversation much further, um, whether it's strategies, and I can talk more about that later, or even just looking at you know, a forward look. In other words, I like to take my clients out, you know, five years, six years, seven years to actually quantify what what they're going to get out of this. In other words, why why does anybody buy a house other than just to have a roof over your head? Well, it's an investment and there's a return on that investment. And we like to, you know, look at models and and forecast and and show the client, this is what you're doing. This is part of your wealth creation. You know, that's what, that's what this is all about, whether it's an investment property or your primary residence or a second home, it's all an investment. So, you know, with a background in economics and finance um, I just, you know, I landed in the mortgage business um, probably just by, you know, just not by mistake, but I, I really didn't have any, any, idea that I was going to be so much in the mortgage business. Um, not what you were
0: when you were sitting in the college classroom, it was, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a mortgage broker. Uh,
1: no. (laughs) Um, and I have to give my, 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 one of my siblings uh, a lot of credit. Um, my sister was a mortgage professional for almost 40 years and I, I saw what it meant to be part of putting a roof over someone's head. So, you know, that, that had a lot to do with it. Um, But yeah, and so you know, looking backwards, especially like when we were experiencing the housing crisis back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, yeah, you know, those were times where I really had to, you know, do a little bit of um, soul searching and figure out do I do I need to go do something else or do I just stick with it? And of course, I buckled down and stuck with it, and I've been with mortgage bank now almost seven years, and you know, the difference between being a non Depository mortgagee versus, say, working for a bank. Some of those differences um, give a non-bank mortgagee a little bit more flexibility, perhaps, and just being a little bit more nimble. Uh, nothing against the guys at the bank. It's just, sure. you know, it's a different, it's a different structure. And then you've got mortgage brokers. I was a mortgage broker for a number of years having my own shop with another individual. So gotcha. I've been I've been in the bank world, I've been in the mortgage broker world and now we would we're more considered mortgage bankers. We're not a bank but we go directly to agency. We're not brokering the loan through another institution.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense there. Um and so just back to the the financial crisis a little um uh, you know the most recent one, you know, essentially 08 to o ten. Uh would you say the impact to Alabama was more so than you know, did it, it did it hit Alabama worse than the rest of the country, or vice versa? Just based on what you saw,
1: I, you know, I, honestly, I mean, we we took our lumps. I mean, in other words, we we obviously had um, you know revenues and production, all those numbers were considerably down just because of the industry being in the shape that it was in. But honestly, compared to the, some of the national markets, some of the bigger markets, um, I would have to say that our market really was. I think we weathered it better than than most and I think that that's been historically the case. Um, even now when you're looking at, you know, some of the pressures in some of the other markets whether it's um appreciation or just, you know, just sales numbers, um we tend to do better than some of the national num- some of the national markets.
0: Right, and that's a uh, and that's one thing that You know, when I started working here with Acre, uh, it's been uh, almost five years. But um, that's one thing that I was looking at kind of early on, is and I had similar observations. uh, You know that you know it definitely impacted Alabama, but you know not just looking at the data, not to the same degree that it did nationally. But yeah, but I agree with you. Some, you know, it uh, seems like we didn't quite get overbuilt, you know, or so much speculation, like Atlanta, for example. I know uh, Atlanta was hit pretty hard uh, by that last downturn, and I remember being in Atlanta uh, I was on a, one of those, you know, those new giant, uh, mid-rise condos they put up and the thing basically looked bacon. I mean, it was a Saturday night and there was like two lights on in the entire building. And I'm like, yeah. uh, I think this is what they're talking about, you know? When, uh,
1: yeah. Uh, and then you, and you look at, you know, just in Birmingham, especially with what's happened with the revitalization of, of what I would consider, I guess, midtown and, and all of the condo developments that we've seen. And, and we're continuing to see, and there are more on the on the horizon. Um, so it, yeah. it's it's it, the market's in great shape. Um, well, let's.
0: Uh, well, that's good to hear. And uh, and yeah, speaking about downtown areas, maybe we can circle back to this, you know, a little later. But uh, but one thing that Alabama has going, uh, one thing we have going for us, I've said it a few times, but is that uh, in all the large metro areas, you've seen a pretty significant amount of investment in downtown uh, over the last twenty years you know whether it's Birmingham Mobile uh, Montgomery uh Huntsville to a lesser degree because their downtown has always been you know kind of a a nice thriving area uh but but yeah but to see that reinvestment uh, across the state to me it uh, it bodes well you know for conditions as a whole
1: yeah i mean it 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 just solidifies the the, the entire market um I, I don't know that we really have a weak sector in our market um you know, at least as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, there are areas that are potentially more competitive than, than others when it comes to, you know, multiple offers that we still see. But overall, um, yeah, regardless of where you're looking, um, you know, suburban or, you know, inner city, it's it, the market's been very strong. Good
0: to hear. And so uh, one thing we're going to focus on kind of early, uh, you know, today's episode, you know, a large focus is going to be on uh on inflation and mortgage rates and how you know people can navigate those and maybe debunking a few myths that are out there uh but just uh just tell us a little bit about uh inflation and how it drives mortgage rates um and everything and that, included
1: yeah well and you know inflation is is the 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 root of of the the condition of the market. In other words, you know, inflation's always the arch enemy of interest rates. And of course, interest rates obviously affect the mortgage industry and the real estate industry. Although, admittedly, I would say that our market tends to be less sensitive to to fluctuations in rates. Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, we have more first-time home buyers now than we've ever had. And that will continue for the next probably five to ten years just based on the you know, just just the statistics with the millennial generation. It's um, a large group of people. It's uh, the biggest we've ever had. Right. And if you look at birth rates going back, you know, the average age for the first time home buyer is 33 years old. So when you reverse, when you look back to the birth rates, you know, from 1989 and 88 and, you know, 80s, 80, 89, 88, 87, and then going forward, 90, 91, if you look at the graph, it's a stair step up. So in other words, we Mm -hmm. have that cohort is going to, you know, help drive this market, you know, for the next five to 10 years. I mean, you just, you can't fight the facts on that. Yeah. Um, That's one. Yeah.
0: I was just going to add, yeah. a significant driver of housing demand just because, you know, people in their early thirties, you know, that's when, you know, what, you know, marrying, forming a family, having kids, you know, outgrowing your house you know that's when a lot of buyers have those needs where they you know it's just it's they're outgrowing their house regardless of what the economy' is doing and so that's definitely a strong uh, tailwind that the market has that demographic that you mentioned
1: and you know the the pressures on rents you know we continue to see rents increasing um, and of course the, the the main point to that is do you want to build your own equity and pay yourself, in essence, you know, building equity by paying your mortgage balance down, or do you want to pay someone else's mortgage mm-hmm. um, and add to their net war- net worth? Um, so the rent pressures are certainly impacting, you know, a lot of first time home buyers, and that's been the biggest challenge lately. And say in the last, you know, eight to ten months, is you know trying to navigate around all of the negative media when it comes to you know the, some of the housing data. Mostly national, and you know the fact that w- how much I- inflation is impacting the housing market. Um, you know, inflation mathematically. First of all, there are a couple of reports that that tend to drive the the the, the data, um, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, um, and the PCE number, which actually is going to be released this Thursday. And if you look back to the, to the last CPI number that came out uh, three, two or three weeks ago, um, we actually saw interest rates improve, even though the Fed did make another rate hike. Um, but because of the inflation number being better than expected, um, we actually saw rates drop from the upper, well, I would say in, from the low sevens down to you know, the mid to upper sixes. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not where it's going to end up. You know, the projections are that we're going to see mortgage rates, 30-year mortgage rates drop potentially close to five, maybe even just under 5%. But going back to just the inflation data itself, mathematically, it's a 12-month rolling average, right? Mm -hmm. And so as we go forward, when you look at the inflation data from July, August, and September of last year, those numbers were so substantially low Compared to the inflation numbers that we've been seeing, you know, that's what was causing that that had a lot to do with the year over year number continuing to go up. But as we go forward for October, November and December, January and February, even you're going to we're replacing those 2021 numbers with higher numbers for 2022. So just mathematically, if we can get month over month numbers to continue to get better, then we're going to be pulling in those higher numbers from the end of last year and the first part of this year. So just mathematically, you should see the year over year number continue to get better. I mean, there are all there. There's some caveats to that, you know, the pending rail strike that's hit the news here recently that could have an impact. And then, you know, with China potentially gonna, you know, if China opens up full steam, then I think you might see more demand for, you know, um, you know, oil, and you may see some upward pressures in prices because of that. But overall, the projections are that inflation numbers are going to get better, because the Fed actions are having an impact. The thing about the Fed, you know, the the measures that the Fed's taking by increasing the Fed funds rate, you know, it, it's a delayed, it's a delayed result. In other words, we probably won't start seeing the true effect of that for another three months or so. Um, but it's, it's coming and that's, what's going to help play into the inflation numbers should be getting better. And then consequently mortgage rates, there's all kind of historical data out there that when inflation starts coming down, mortgage rates follow suit. Yes. Which, uh,
0: and which also follows common sense. Um, and just because I, I remember uh, a former history teacher here, so uh, I might th- pepper in a few, uh, historical references, but, uh, but yeah, but I just remember you know reading about it. You know, it's it, inflation is essentially you know if you're in the business of making loans, uh, obviously inflation is uh, one of the big risks that you're taking. You know, getting you know thirty, twenty nine, thirty years down the road, getting you know repaid in dollars that aren't nearly worth what you lent out so long ago. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that about the year over year numbers starting to improve because it was about this time last year. I remember it was uh, December of twenty one when a lot of the you know. when, when talk of inflation uh, really started to pick up, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. And in fact, the month over month numbers in October were 0. 0.6, November 0. 0.5, December 0. 0.6, January 0. 0.6, these are all um, increases mm-hmm. from the previous month. When you rewind the clock back to July, that was only 0. 0.3, August was 0. 0.2, September was 0. 0.3. So we're replacing those unusually lower numbers with these higher numbers. You know, right, So that's where the, the math plays into it, um, assuming we can get month over month numbers to improve um, as we go forward. And, you know, speaking to real estate and inflation, you can also see in almost every graph that when we have high inflation and or re- recession, and we'll come back to that in a minute, housing values continue to increase even through uh, recessions. And For then sure. the other factor with recessions is mortgage rates always come down um, when we experience recessions. And you can look at the historical graphs of that. Um, so there's a lot of fundamentals that are that are playing into this as it relates to you know what we've seen in the past and what we hope to see going forward. Um, the, the biggest challenge right now is going to be, you know, will the Fed potentially start to wind these rate hikes down? Uh, dial it down, so to speak. And, you know, that's going to be the biggest challenge is, you know, will the Fed cooperate? Will the market, you know, hopefully guide the Fed in doing the right thing instead of continuing to keep their foot on the pedal? Um,
0: Right. And, uh, and yeah, that's, um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the Fed, you know, if they do adjust uh, their policy, you know, and, because I've read several reports. Well, I'll actually, we'll save that for the, toward the end, but yeah, but it's, I mean, these rate hikes can't go on forever. Obviously uh, they're having the intended effect, you know, especially on the housing data of slowing down sales activity. Uh, but interesting, you mentioned pricing uh, because yeah, I mean, it's, what do you want to own during times of inflation? You know, real assets, something tangible. <laughs> and so, real. Uh, so yeah, so real estate. So that's kind of the silver lining, uh, especially for those first time buyers. Um, you know who, who, as you mentioned, you know, I mean, they're facing one of the more difficult markets out there. Uh, but what do you, um, but when do you think inflation will peak, and uh, when do you think we'll start to see that coming back down?
1: Some believe it's going to be close to January, um, as early as January, um, okay, and perhaps February. Um, <clears throat> if you, if you have a, <clears throat> pardon me, if you have the vision of a roller coaster, and you're on that that upper loop. Um, where you know the back end of the roller coaster is yet to see the crest, and the front end of the roller coaster has already seen the crest, and so the the data is is looks similar to that. We're going to mm-hmm. start seeing the entire, as corny as this sounds, the roller coaster. You're going to start seeing the entire, uh, the the entire roller coaster itself coming down. You know from the crest, and we think you know January, February potentially okay uh interesting and um and
0: yeah i've read some uh some similar forecasts that uh that talk about and these are just you know kind of some national forecasts that are out there publicly available but uh but essentially calling for rates you know to you know it could take uh you know basically late 23 maybe early 24 we could be back to you know a quote normal rate environment and i think a lot of what the the shock to the market has been is normally these rate hikes are pretty, you know, it's, it's a, a slow taper upwards. Uh, but we didn't get that this go around, you know, back, what was it? March and April. Uh, when, you know, there was that, you know, aggressive rate hikes one after another. Um, and so, and so, yeah, have you seen that? Have you seen rates rise as quickly as they have this year? Have you seen that during, you know, you've worked in the business 31 years. Have you seen such a sudden hike during any other eras?
1: No. I have not. And, you know, in which the confusing part of that is, have we seen interest rates higher than seven and a quarter percent? Of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, historically, the average 30 year rate over the past 40 years is somewhere around seven point seven six percent. That's interesting. So, you know, we've seen higher interest rates. But what we haven't seen is what you just what you just asked is we've never seen such a s- increase in such a short period of time. That that was the shock to the market. Right. Um, And of course, you know, and there's graphs to show, you know, as far as, you know, when the Fed actually began realizing that inflation was not transitory, you know, in the very beginning. I remember those days. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you look at a graph, the quantitative easing that the Fed was engaged in during covid. Um, with all the stimulus. And what that means is the Fed was actively purchasing bonds and mortgage backed securities, which helped keep interest rates artificially low. Unfortunately, the Fed didn't get into the game as early as they should have. If you look at a graph, when we started seeing inflation spike just after January of 2021, you know, the Fed was still actively purchasing mortgage backed securities and keeping interest rates artificially low. Had they had they had they dialed that back a little sooner, I think they could have been a little bit ahead of of where the inflation numbers are. But you know, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty. But but yeah, I'd never have we seen the increase in rates as high as uh, as much as we saw in such a short period of time. And a lot of people confuse these Fed hikes with having a direct impact on mortgage rates. Indeed, well, the Fed, yes, and and that's not in any way true in other words the fed fund rate is an overnight rate whereas a 30-year mortgage rate is a 30-year rate and so can the fed increase can the fed hikes impact mortgage rates in some way of course um but it's not directly in step with 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 a 30-year mortgage rate
0: right and uh and just from you know attending seminars you know and, and just following the industry as a whole uh But yeah, it seems a lot of times, uh, you know, banks will anticipate, you know, they, you know, or it's already kind of priced in with whatever analysis they're doing. Um, And so it's just interesting to see that, yeah, it's not a direct correlation. Um, And, uh, but yeah, that's a good misconception
1: to kind of, uh, to weed out. And one of the main components in the inflation data is shelter. Mm -hmm. In other words, shelter makes up, I think... 39% Thirty-nine percent of the core CPI number, consumer price index number. Yep. Um, and the shelter cost have seen uh, a, a big spike, but the other projection is that we're going to start seeing shelter cost come down, and that's going to also help the inflation number.
0: For I mean, sure. We'll obviously, yeah.
1: have to see how it all plays out. But
0: yeah. And so when they talk about shelter costs, I guess that's uh, rent, uh, whether renting or owning. Just I guess yes. that's why they use that term. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen rents. Yeah. Rent growth. I mean, it's uh Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs>
1: no, I was going to say, and even uh, I didn't even know this till recently, even lodging away hmm. is a component. And that one piece of the data increased 4.9% in October, which was one reason why we didn't see the inflation numbers actually even better than they were. It had the lodging away number not been such an increase, Um, we would have even had better CPI numbers back a few weeks ago than what we did see. So, you know, we'll see how it all plays out because the PCE number is going to be released on Thursday, and we're hoping that that will also give us better inflation numbers. And then, you know, some of the experts think that we may see rates drop as early as by the second quarter of next year. I mean, you know, nobody has the crystal ball, but there are some credible um, mortgage Experts out there that believe that you know we may even see it sooner than later.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially, uh, yeah, especially as you know, ec- economic conditions sh- uh, conditions shift, and then we get you know, hopefully, uh, inflation is uh, back to that two percent goal. We won't even get to why two percent is their magic number. I heard a pretty good uh, talk on that not long ago. Uh, but yeah, but hopefully that'll be under control pretty soon. And so if we just kind of get into some of the fundamentals. Uh, So we've talked about, you know, the 10-year treasury and a 30-year mortgage rate, the spread there. Could you just kind of walk us through that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, In fact, I've got a slide for that. And typically a normal spread, in other words, when you look at a graph over the past 35 years between the yield on the 10-year treasury and a 30-year mortgage rate, okay, so the yield between a 10-year treasury and a 30-year mortgage rate, Typically, a mortgage—the more a thirty-year mortgage rate is going to be somewhere between one and three quarters and two percent higher than the ten-year Treasury rate. Right now, the spread is over three percent, so that's an indication that you know we will see mortgage rates come down as inflation comes down, and then you're going to start seeing that spread it should be back to more of a normal one and three quarters to 2%. So take, for example, if we can get the 10-year treasury yield back down to 3%, you know, you're looking at possibly a mortgage rate close to 5%, just historically. Um, so it's, that's just another indicator um, of, you know, why we think mortgage rates will potentially come down closer to 5% or maybe even just under 5% is based on that typical one and three quarters to two percent spread between the ten year and the thirty year mortgage rate. And so we're I, hoping to yeah. see a ten year treasury yield of three percent.
0: right because uh, it seems like five percent is in terms of mortgage rates long you know long term, uh, it's kind of the inflection point in a lot of ways uh, because when because uh, pending home sales is you know as mortgage rates, you know were climbing in the first half of the year, you know three percent, four percent, four and a half percent. There really wasn't a significant impact to pending home sales until they hit that five percent number, which is kind of the inflection point. And then it once you know got ahead of five percent, that's really when you saw your pending sales, uh, you know, start to trend down pretty significantly.
1: Um, so there's a strategy that we employ, uh, to help navigate around some of these higher interest rates. And let's just say for our argument that a 30 year mortgage rates say six and three quarters, it's, it's Mm -hmm. come down. Like I said, a minute ago, we were North of 7% just a month ago. And now we're, you know, trending somewhere in the 6.6 to 6.7% range. Yeah. Um, so one strategy is, uh, a temporary buy down. And so there, there are basically two ways to to buy an, an interest rate down. In other words, as a borrower, you can you can pay extra money upfront in points, which is just another name for upfront cost to to literally buy your interest rate down permanently. In other words, you may be able to buy your rate down from six and three quarters down to six and a quarter if you pay X amount upfront. But if interest rates do what the experts believe that theoretically would be throwing that money out the window because you'll never get it back, especially if you end up refinancing to a rate closer to 5%. -hmm. So a permanent buy down for me is not the best strategy unless you've got a seller concession where the seller's putting money on the table, then you could potentially look at applying that concession towards permanently buying your rate down. However, a temporary buy down for me is a better strategy. A temporary buy down is very much unlike a permanent buy-down, a temporary buy-down, and I'll just give you an example. Let's just say the interest rate's six and three-quarters, okay? Mm -hmm. So the first year rate would be four and three-quarters, and then the second year rate would be five and three-quarters, and then starting in the third year, you're at the note rate of six and three-quarters. So the difference in payment between that four and three-quarter payment for the first year and the six and three-quarter payment which is the note rate. Okay. So let's just say the difference in those two payments between four and three quarters and six and three quarters, depending on the loan amount, but let's just say it's 500 bucks a month. So if you're looking at potentially bear with me just a second. Yeah. No so problem. In other words, the payment difference of 500 bucks a month for the first year, right? Would be six grand. And so that money is set aside in escrow. All right. And then Mm -hmm. let's just say, starting in year two, when the interest rate goes to 5.75, if you haven't already refinanced, okay, let's just say the difference in payment between 5.75 and 6.75, let's just say that that's 250 bucks a month. So for the second year, that's $3,000 for the entire 12 months. So in other words, the total subsidy for the first two years, the $500 a month for the first year, And the $250 a month in the second year, that's $6,000 in year one and $3,000 in year two. So that's $9,000. Okay, so that's a subsidy. So this is not paying points. That $9,000 is a subsidy for the monthly payment differences in years one and year two. And that money is set aside in escrow. And if so, in other words, when you start making your mortgage payments, your mortgage payments are based on four and three quarters. And so we're going to take that $500 out of the escrow account to subsidize the monthly payment for that first for the entire first year. Gotcha. The yeah. good news is, yeah. if you end up refinancing before the end of the second year, so let's just say that you didn't use all the subsidy. Let's say you refinanced after the first year. So you did not use any of the subsidy for that second year, which was that 3 grand, right? right that three thousand dollars you don't lose it it's applied to the principal balance when you refinance so you don't lose it nice. so it's very versus much buying unlike, it down right right it's very much unlike points because with points in that first example whatever the points were to permanently buy the rate down you potentially would never get that money back whereas on a temporary buy down it's it's more of a subsidy and that whatever's left over in that subsidy account if it's not used you don't lose it. And so that's a, it's a, it's a good strategy to help, you know, ease the payment shock, if you will, instead of having to go into a mortgage payment at at six and three quarters, you're going to have, you know, substantial reduction in your monthly payment, at least in that first year and some in the second year. But again, the consensus is you'll probably end up refinancing before the end of the second year.
0: Uh, Are a lot of your uh, clients using that strategy uh, in the current market?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the where where we implemented that strategy initially was more along the lines of dealing with potential seller concessions or price reductions in other words if a seller if you're a seller and you're looking at what incentives do I need to put in place to to you know expand the buyer pool or to make the property more attractive you know you, you can market, instead of reducing the price by nine grand. Okay. So let's just take that same $9,000. If you had reduced the price by nine grand, you're basically going to reduce the monthly payment by roughly 55 bucks a month. Right. Whereas if you do the temporary buy down, you're going to reduce the payment at least $500 a month in the first year. So we, we were approaching the listing agents and owners, sellers with the strategy of before you make a price reduction, If you're going to make a concession, if you're going to put money on the table for the benefit of the buyer, don't reduce the price. Apply it towards a temporary buy-down or in some cases maybe do a permanent buy-down. But certainly the temporary buy-down is a more effective way to apply a seller concession in lieu of, you know, a price reduction.
0: Yeah, especially, uh, you know, on the affordability front because that's where a lot of people are getting squeezed at the moment, you know, uh, with the higher rates and higher home sale prices. And so yeah, it does make that monthly payment way more affordable uh for your general consumer.
1: It can make a substantial difference.
0: Absolutely. Uh yeah, between yeah, between making it uh you know, cuz of course, you know, as bankers, you got uh my dad being my dad's a closing attorney, he's retired now, but so I you know, grown up kind of, you, know, re- you know, hearing all sorts of uh, you know, tales from the the closing attorney. Uh, but anyway, uh Sorry, we'll have to edit that out. I had a decent point I was going to make, but we'll just drop that right there. Um, But yeah, so let's, uh, so what area do we want to hit next?
1: You know, uh, for me, there's a lot of misinformation about, you know, this being a potential housing bubble.
0: Right. Um, Yeah. Let's talk about that.
1: And, you know, a lot of, some of the mainstream media, not a lot, but uh, more than fair share, tend to want to paint a picture that, you know, we're heading back into something similar that we saw in 2008 and 2009, and there could not be anything more different in with this market than what we saw back in 2008 and 2009. Mainly, the main factor is in, uh, inventory. You know, back in 2007, and these are national numbers, the inventory was, let's just say, 4 million units. The average for currently for this year, 2022, is 1.2 million. Okay, so the inventory is so so yeah. substantially less than what it was in 2007 and 2008. Okay, the difference between four million and just say yeah. one and a quarter million, right? Yeah, so it's, you, yeah it's, it's You've got not even in the ballpark, three, really. <laughs> yeah, you've got almost three million less units on the market, and then you look at the population growth we've got almost 40 million more household formations than we had in 2007, 2008. So you've got, you know, you know, 40 more million people chasing after 3 million less units. Um, That's a good point. And then then you look at the millennial that, you know, like I said, that cohort, when you look at the birth rates going backwards, you know, 2000, um, pardon me, 1988, 1989, 1990, you know, that's what's coming Forward and from the de- from the demand side, you know the demand pool is going will continue to grow. The challenge is going to be: will inventory be able to get back to some normalcy? You know, you know what's the normal? What is? In, what's the normal supply? You know, is it three months, four yeah, months, we, six uh, months?
0: generally uh, historically we've said six months. Uh, six months of supply. I think it's going to be a while before we get back there um and that's kind of a floating number because it's very much debatable but but I'd say about 5 months of supply which we're some we're we're kind of we're, we're trending that direction we're not quite there yet. Uh, yeah,
1: and speaking of that, you know because a, a lot of the media did jump on that to say okay, um, uh, inventory is, is increasing and that is true um but it happens every year at about this time. In July, yep. August, and September, you always see a spike in yep inventory just because people are getting ready to sell before getting their kid or whoever, you know, into the new school system. So that has a lot to do with the spike that we normally see year over year. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I, you're absolutely right. I think it's going to be a challenge to, you know, get out of this in, this inventory um, trough that we're in. Um, yeah, it's been
0: stubbornly just, low uh, for it, some time. Well and, and
1: that's I love the data that you guys put together um, uh, on the na- on the local market um, and I was just looking back with some of the data that that was released for October. it looks like you know that we're at what three point three months supply yeah um, in the yeah
0: in the overall market you yeah. know, resales and new mm-hmm. homes
1: right, which was up from two point six um, nationally, I think the inventory supply is somewhere around two and a half months. And that number gets distorted because on the national side, you've got pending contracts that are part of of the inventory number. So when you take that when you take that piece out, right you, you're realistically more in closer to like a two and a half month supply.
0: Yeah. And and another thing with the national data, because uh especially what you know NAR data, it's uh the sales uh, and inventory, it's seasonally adjusted. Uh, you know, they calculate a seasonally adjusted annual rate. And that's what you see all the, you know, that's a month over month change. Um, And I found it interesting that a lot of the headlines, you know, like new home sales, for example, you know, we're actually up a little bit in October from September nationally, you know, but we're still down about 8% from one year ago. And, uh, but yeah, but sometimes that annual rate can be a little confusing. Uh, With our acre data, we just uh, we've I've heard years back we kind of messed around with an annual rate but it's kind of confusing to a lot of con- consumers, you know. And so that's why we just put the the straight sales numbers out there. Uh but but sometimes it can be difficult to to uh compare those, you know, to an annual rate. So that's why I look at like change from one year ago is kind of the benchmark.
1: Yeah, and and when you start pulling in numbers from 2021, late 2021 and certainly all of 2022 um with with COVID, you know, the effect of COVID I like the fact that you guys take also a, a look at the 5 year average from 2017 through 2021. I think I think that's really a more realistic for sure of your numbers because when you hear the national media comparing, you know, month over month numbers or year over year numbers compared to last year, yeah, of course it's going to not look as as positive. Um but you're looking at historically low numbers from because of the effects of COVID. So I think it's better to take a wider lens on what what the numbers really are compared to where we are today.
0: And a lot of those big declines, especially year over year, I mean, that's essentially from, you know, peak demand when, you know, money was incredibly cheap, you know, the aftermath of all the, I mean, nine to 10 trillion of stimulus injected into the economy, uh, you know being able to borrow money 30 years at three to 4%, I mean, just a whole different world. And so yeah, and so those, they're definitely exaggerated. And we're kind of kind of back to an era of normalization. Uh, and I'm, I like how you mentioned that five year average, because, because, you know, the last couple of years were definitely they were anything but normal, you know, I mean, it was, you know, had the pandemic had the, you know, just this and that all, the, you know, all the issues. But, uh, but yeah, but back to the, you know, the, the housing bubble that, you know, some News folks like to cover. uh I've read a lot of those articles, and it usually ends with, "Well, but home values are still up, you know, or median sales prices are up, you know, twelve to fifteen percent from one year ago." And I'm like, "So, so where is the housing bubble?" <laughs> I, 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 it's all about how you define it, I guess. Uh, I generally think in terms of value, because that's what affects your typical homeowner.
1: Yeah, of course. In fact, um just just today, you know, Case-Shiller um, Ho- home price index, which is considered the gold standard. Um, Mm -hmm. For appreciation data. Yeah, it showed that home prices fell 1% in September, but it increased 10% year over year, which is a decline from 13% in August. So this is September. These are Mm -hmm. September numbers. Um, But but the point being is, we're still seeing appreciation rates in the double digits, which we know the markets, we knew the markets couldn't sustain appreciation rates you know, in the 15 to 20% year over year numbers, we we knew the market couldn't handle that. Um, the consensus is that we'll see appreciation rates settle somewhere in the mid to upper single digits, you know, which historically, appreciation rates used to be in the three, three and a half, four 4% range. And, you know, the consensus is we'll see it slightly above that. And right. so that's where, you know, you can certainly quantify what your return on investment is going to be even if you're just putting say 10% down on a mortgage, you know, if you can earn four to 5% year over year, um, that's, that's what the investment's all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It adds up fast. Um, and, and yeah. And so, but yeah, when you think about, you know, why are housing prices so high, uh, you know, there's, there's a good bit of sticker shock. And I mean, I've, every time I've purchased a house, I've been like, God, that just seems insane. (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah. and then i'll look back a few years later and i'm like well, well you know it, it turned out to be a pretty good price uh and i'm sure a lot of your consumers uh deal with that as well but when i think of yeah you know what's keeping housing prices so high well i mean it's there's very little available for sale supply. like you mentioned it's supply that, that's right the, the the supply just isn't there uh new home construction there's been uh you, you mentioned some graphs earlier one of my uh, favorite graphs are uh, just to like explain, you know, market conditions. But if you look at building permits in Alabama over the last 30 years annually, uh, there's a huge spike, you know, in, uh, 2000 to like 2008, hitting almost 30,000. Uh, I can't remember what the peak year was, but it was before 2010 and then fell off very quickly a few years later to about 10,000. Uh, and like you said, it's just a different market. We don't have that. We don't have the oversupply. We don't have... You know, home builders, uh, they're generally able to sell what they can build rather quickly. Uh, And then, of course, we're living in a time of inflation. And so, you know, the house costs, I guess a good way to put it, uh, the house costs more because the money is worth less.
1: It is. And, you know, then that speaks to the affordability issue um, or what some consider an issue. And, yeah, is it more expensive to purchase a house today? than it was just 12 months ago? Of course it is. I mean, one, appreciation rates continue to, to increase, although not at the same pace that we saw. So that's a good thing. But obviously the increase in mortgage rates have had an impact. But a lot of what you don't hear is, you know, also income, household income is also increasing. And, you know, ADP, the the payroll service company, yep. they put out statistics and they're, their number is basically an average of nine percent increase um, year over year for household income. So that doesn't quite offset the increase in a mortgage payment because of the increase in interest rate, and it doesn't offset the increase in expenses, non-mortgage expenses, because of inflation. I mean, in other words, we know we're paying more for gas, food, and other services. But what you don't hear on the main on the mainstream side is you know, incomes are increasing and that's going to help offset, you know, the challenge of this affordability. Um, and then when interest rates do come down with the increase in income, you, you'll see that, you know, affordability shouldn't be an issue. That that should not even be a topic. Um, right. I don't really think it is right now either, especially if you incorporate the 2-1 buy-down strategy to help offset a higher mortgage payment at least temporarily until we do see lower interest rates so the two one buy down strategy can help offset this affordability issue if, if that's what you want to call it
0: and uh yeah that uh for, for sure um and so what kind of down payment is generally if you use that uh, that buy down strategy what kind of down payment does that generally require you can go in as little as three percent oh okay
1: yeah so it's- um I would say the average down payment right now is running just south of of 10%. I think the average down payment is somewhere in the 7 to 8% range, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um but you know, just taking let's talk about wealth creation. If you purchase a $400,000 house and put 10% down, that's $40,000 down, right? And if if you are able to see a 4% appreciation rate year over year, which is pretty conservative. Right now, what I say we're north of 10, right at 10 or 11%. So even if appreciation rates come down to the mid single digits um, at 4%, that's still a $16,000 profit on a $40,000 investment because the 40,000 was your down payment. That was your 10% down. So if you can earn a six, $16,000 profit in one year on a $40,000 investment, that's a 40% return.
0: And have life. a place to live. So. And a place <laughs> to live. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a really good point. And, um, and, and that's just
1: the appreciation, you sure. know. Not not to discount the fact that you're also going to have amortization gain, which is meaning how much you've paid your mortgage balance down. Right. You know, and yeah, so as that's, you get through uh,
0: those first few years of payments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Well. Uh, well, this has been uh, well. This has been very informative, uh, Clint. I really uh, appreciate you joining the show here and just kind of walking us through the different strategies, you know, that buyers can use to navigate these higher rates. And uh, it's nice to hear, you know, a counter story to the the general narrative that, uh, you know, that, that people might come across in the news, uh, you know, whether it's print, you know, video or otherwise. Uh, but any uh, any final thoughts as we kind of wrap it up here?
1: One other piece to this um, the comparison with 2008, 2009, I'm just wanted yeah. to, you know, clear clarify, you know, why this is not anything close to a housing crisis, yes. you know, because back in 2008, 2009. We saw a twenty to thirty percent reduction in, in prices, and we're obviously not wow. seeing anything close to that now. And then the other piece to that is the average equity that a homeowner has in their current home right now for this for twenty twenty two is fifty eight percent, meaning wow. you you owe you know you've got fifty eight percent equity in your home. The difference between what it's That's worth huge. and what you owe yeah. compared to two thousand eight when the average equity. for for a home was only 19%. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's night and day. Yeah. So there's a lot more equity and, you know, the supply issues. So the housing market is incredibly strong, even with interest rates being where they are. Um, We just know this is a season that we're going to have to live with for a a few more months, perhaps, and then we'll we'll be back into a different season, a, a better, better environment.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's very cyclical. It's kind of like, kind of like that roller coaster. You can't stay at the peak the whole time. No, uh, you can't. It just and wouldn't just, work.
1: Right. And one last thing, you know, we have a tool, which is called cost of waiting. In other words, my biggest challenge, particularly with first time home buyers is, you know, should they kick the can down the road to wait on interest rates to come down and home prices maybe to decelerate a little bit, they're still going to be increasing, just not at, at the same pace. And of course my answer would be no, because one, You're going to be losing out on what appreciation you would have gained, and you also would lose out on the amortization gain, which is how much you're paying your mortgage balance down, all compared to paying rent. So the cost of waiting, even just six months, could cost you, you know, six to ten thousand dollars, if not more. Um, So even though interest rates are higher now, you know, the the message here is, as we get closer to February, March, and April of next year, when you know, we typically see an increase in activity and coincide that with lower mortgage rates, you're going to see a, a, a more competitive real estate market. And so this is really more of an ideal time to potentially buy, even though interest rates are higher, because one, it's not quite as competitive and you're going to end up likely refinancing anyway. So the rate you end up with today is not the rate that you're going to live with. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, you, would you can have lost always out. Yeah. yeah, you would have lost out on on creating that net worth or that wealth creation um by waiting.
0: That's a well that's a I think that's a good place to end right there. Okay. Well, I, Clint, I really uh really appreciate you joining uh joining the show today. And uh I look forward to staying in touch. I'd I'd like to do another one of these, you know, in 6 months uh or so and just kind of, you know, get another update, see where the yeah. market, you know, see how the market's doing.
1: I would very much appreciate that. It'll be fun to look back and see just maybe how accurate or not accurate things are.
0: (laughs) That's part of the fun of forecasting, right? Yes, yes it
1: is. (laughs) No, it's been a pleasure. And I just, Stuart, thank you very much for including me. Um,
0: Hey, absolutely. Anytime. And uh, one last thing Uh, we do have a Acrecom, our commercial real estate conference and expo Uh, that's coming up uh, Friday, February 17th in Birmingham. Uh, That's our signature event here at the center. Um, and I know, uh, I know you're uh, more in the, you know, in the more in the residential side uh, with the mortgage, uh, but a lot of our listeners are commercial folks. Um, but just putting that date out there so y'all can mark your calendars and uh, and hope to see everyone out there. And Clint, thanks again for joining us. Really great episode.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. All right. This has been the Real Estate Matters podcast produced by the Alabama Center for Real Estate. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Podbean, or just ask Alexa to play the Real Estate Matters podcast.